I meet all kinds of adults who tell me they haven't got any special talents at all. They don't have any particular passions or interests, and I just don't believe it. I think there are plenty of people who haven't found them, who haven't known where to look. It's one of the problems with education that we get steered away from them. Finding your element is not just about passion and aptitude. It's about attitude and opportunity. It has to matter to you enough. It isn't about walking away from your responsibilities and leaving everything behind. It is about trying to find a purpose in your life and being honorable and true to yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Vishal, a lifelong car fanatic and a current corporate relations manager at Flux. And that was a snippet from the late Sir Ken Robinson, a personal hero of ISA, on discovering your passions. And today you're listening to Seek to Speak, a podcast that aims to empower expression, spark speeches, and instigate ideas. Seek to Speak. Hi everyone, I'm Aisa and welcome to season two of Seek to Speak. And with me is Vishal, a marketer, a public relations practitioner and a photojournalist with over five years of experience in communications in the automotive industry. As the corporate relations manager of Flux, Vishal manages the startup's internal and external communications, including corporate news dissemination as well as crisis management. I'm happy to have Vishal on the show to talk about how to make a technical and typically quite niche subject like automobiles more approachable and accessible to the public welcome to the show Vishal how are you feeling I'm doing great Aisa thank you for having me on the show I'm glad to be here for season two um, I don't know whether that means um, I wasn't important enough for season one and you pushed me to- <laughs> <laughs> no you're so important that we had to keep you for a better season oh Fantastic save. Well done. Especially because I need you to enlighten me about our automotive industry. So the first segment that we have is called the Guest Guide. This is where we'll find out more about you, where we guide our listeners through your journey of passion and self-expression because you have quite the colorful past. Because for those of you who don't know, he actually has a degree and master's in engineering. But after graduating, he went on to write for a local newspaper. It was the NST, right? That's right. NST, yes. About cars. <laughs> and now he's a corporate relations manager for a startup. How did you go from engineering to writing to public relations? Right. Wow. None of which really were planned, if I'm honest. Um, So I'll begin with, I guess, uh, the culmination of my degree. Um, Mm -hmm. I finished um, a master's in mechanical engineering from the University of Manchester. Uh, And I came back and I started looking for engineering opportunities in Malaysia. Um, And my first and biggest passion um, has always been cars. So while I was looking for automotive engineering opportunities here in Malaysia, I realized that um, we do a lot of manufacturing, but not a lot of R&D. Um, right. So the, there weren't as many opportunities as I thought there would be um, in the automotive space for what I wanted to do. Um, but I wanted to keep an open mind. So yeah. I did apply for jobs like this. Um, but at the same time, I got an introduction uh, to the editor um, of the automotive section for NST. Uh, and it was called Cars, Bikes and Trucks. So NST at the time used to outsource the automotive content um, to an external company. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's some so public- specialized. That's Correct. How. Yeah, because you know, they didn't have anybody in-house who could take care of this. Mm. So they're like, okay, we'll outsource this and then we will do a profit share on the advertising revenue, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, 
So I um, had a discussion uh, with the editor um, and also the owner of the company that was in charge of this outsourced automotive content. Um, so at the time, he offered me uh, a cadet uh, journalist position. Is that what it's called? Um, when cadet? you're super junior, yes. Um, you know, and that's as traditional as it gets. Yeah, because in a yeah. newspaper, the first job of the cadet is to follow the senior writers around <laughs> and basically wax on, wax off and learn how to yeah, um, yeah, you yeah. know put these stories together, interview people, ask questions. Um, but at the time, I still wanted to have a bit of freedom of my own time so that I could search for the kind of jobs that I wanted. Mm. So I counter-offered and said, look, um, I'll freelance for you. Um, so I'll write all the articles uh, that you give me, no matter what they are. But it won't be a nine to five for me. I'll just do them whenever you need. Yeah. Um, and I did this for a couple of months at the end of 2014. And at the start of 2015, I still hadn't got any luck um, with what I thought would be the kind of job that I wanted, wanted to do or should be doing. Um, and so the editor, a gentleman by the name of Yamin Vong, he told me, look, why don't you come on full time? And I didn't have anything else on the horizon at that time. And I was like, sure, let me do this. So start of 2015, um, I became an automotive photojournalist for uh, New Straits Times, uh, but specifically in cars, bikes and trucks. I had a very fluffy creative writing style, which was beaten out of me, um, almost <laughs> oh, literally as a, cadet. as a cadet journalist, because I was told, listen, nobody cares about all of this. You need to grab them in the first sentence, mm. get to the facts. And if there's ever an opportunity for you to ask the audience questions in terms of, you know, um, you're just uh, wondering which direction something will go. So let me give you an example. Mm. If we're talking about a bus route or if we're talking about um, um, interstate bus safety, you know, you'd be like, oh, will this mean um, we will have reduced uh, fatalities because of XXX reason? Yeah. Um, so you can do things like that, but you're not meant to go on and on with flowery language. And, I you know, see. you know, um, it, none of that was necessary because it was about the news. Yeah. yeah, actually, a lot of people also perceive that if you use bigger, more bombastic words in your speech, you sound very great. You sound enlightened impressive. and educated, right? Yeah, but actually, yeah. no, um, you use active voice, simple language that gets straight to the point is actually less is more. Absolutely. But how did you go from, you know, right? Because you were a writer for a while, right? Yes. You're looking at accidentally writing for how many years? <laughs> so I was an accidental journalist for two and a half years. So I did a year and a half in NST and then uh, I did a year in Rob Report. Mm. So Rob Report is, let me see if I can remember uh, the company line to the best of my ability. Um, <laughs> it was uh, the guide to ultra affluent connoisseurship for the affluent. Um, oh I'm missing I'm, I'm missing a couple of words in there. Uh, but as pretentious as that may sound, it was just incredible the kind of work we did there mm. because you really are writing and talking about the best products and services that people can come up with. So um, that was a huge, um, I would say, paradigm shift from yeah. NST because... I was now covering um, watches, so timepieces. Um, I was covering um, high-end automobiles, uh, which was still in the wheelhouse of my interest. Mm. Um, and also... Um, what kind of cars? Oh, like my goodness. Kind? So Ferraris, Just, uh, Lamborghinis, wow. McLarens, Like you, 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 you went in and like... I drove these cars all over the wow. world. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, um, that's a really sweet deal. It was like, fantastic. I mean, imagine being paid to live out your dream. Um, I can't say it any other way. Um, and, you know, you have to remember that I was just a journalist. So I was enjoying things that I could not even dream of affording. Um, but, you back know, then, back neither. then, back then, not now yet, you know, we'll get there <laughs> not someday. Yet, not yet. Um, One day you'll be driving your I, own. I <laughs> hope so. And we'll go for a spin, you know, yeah. for all time's sake. Um, but yeah, this was exactly the thing. So it, it served a purpose because it was totally relaxed, enjoyable reading. Mm. If you imagine um, sitting on your balcony with a cup of coffee and reading about how, um, you know, a particular watch winder is made from old BMW engines. It's just beautiful oh. craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. so you're talking about the pinnacle of people's creative abilities. Mm, that's yeah. true, of craftsmanship. Yeah. Why did you give that all up then? <laughs> so, um, so I was offered an opportunity to manage the corporate communications and uh, PR department um, for Mercedes-Benz. Mm. Um, and one thing that I've always believed throughout my time as a journalist is... I should never ever become jaded or um, become fed up in any way um, of all these amazing things that I was doing. And, you know, they run the gamut. You know, I can tell you about sipping champagne on a yacht in Hong Kong. You know, I've, I've done so many amazing and wonderful things, um, you know, uh, watch exhibitions in Switzerland, the works, but I enjoyed them till the very end. So when I got this offer to, um, you know, take this position, I realized that I still enjoyed every single thing that I was doing. And this may be counterintuitive, but I felt that that was the perfect time to step away. Um, because I did not want to wake up at 5.30 in the morning one day because I'm supposed to go to Sepang and drive a supercar and just not want to do it. You know, don't let it be on your own terms. Mm. So I realized that, okay, it is a challenge to jump the fence because I was previously dealing with these people yeah. um, and now I'm going to become the person who deals with the media. So I know what is expected on the media side because I was the journalist. With that in mind, I can probably give the journalist that I deal with the best experience with me as a PR practitioner. So uh, to answer your question, it was yet another thing that came along. It wasn't planned. It was offered to me and I took it. You really take leaps of faith. Like, and when opportunities come, you really like, you know what? Let's do it. Even though it is totally not what I was trained to do, even if it's the other side of the fence. And even though my life is pretty sweet right now. I mean, I really like that sort of like risk appetite that you have because I feel like when you take control of your choices, that's exactly it. You take control of your choices and you create the outcomes that you want because it's your choice and not other people's. How did you find being a PR practitioner like? Was it all you've ever <laughs> thought it'd be? Um, I mean, I had, I had an idea of what I thought it'd be. And, uh, you know, I guess just to add some color to what you, um, what you said previously, um, you're right in the sense that, you know, um, there is a certain amount of risk I'll take. And you're right about not knowing the outcome uh, because that's the something that you can never plan. But some of the times when I doubt myself, I look at the people around me who believe that I can do a particular thing and I bank on their experience and wisdom because if they feel I can do something and they know better than me, 
perhaps I can. Oh, that's such great advice. Because I know a lot of people who face imposter syndrome. And I think women in particular have that kind of issue of like whether or not I'm good enough, even though that job was offered to them. Right. So I like the fact that instead of listening to the fake news in your head, which is telling you you can't do it, listen to your loved ones who are telling you to go for it. Absolutely. And what yeah. I'm listening from your experience is the lack of difficulty, actually. The fact that you jump from, I would say, different industries while the subject matter is similar. Mm -hmm. Could it be because the subject matter was something that you were passionate in? Is that why you didn't find difficulties of doing this? So, yeah, you've, you've, uh, you've now stumbled upon really what is the secret ingredient. Um, I can't imagine myself ever doing something that is not related to the automotive industry. So I was an automotive photojournalist. Um, I then, um, you know, went to luxury lifestyle, which broadened the scope, but it still mm -hmm. had a significant, um, I would say, um, uh, focus on the automotive industry and, you know, luxury automobiles in, uh, in particular. But it was always cars. So, uh, you know, when I went from journalism to PR, it was cars. There was, there's never, I've never dropped this in my life. It's always been cars or mobility. Um, and I just want to touch on what you said just now about imposter syndrome. Um, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten from, um, you know, a mentor or a leader or a boss. Um, so my editorial director at uh, Rob Report magazine, uh, Kenneth Tan, um, a year before I even joined him at mm -hmm. Rob Report, what he said to me, um, you know, we were just on a trip in, we were driving Porsches in Thailand, you know, as you do. That was just my life, right? <laughs> it's just uh, one of those days. Just one of those days, on the track as well, yeah. you know. Um, and what he said to me was, listen, if you don't believe in your own legend, nobody else will. <laughs> and he had no reason to tell this to some kid who was from like, a, you know, a, um, a daily like NST. But, you know, we had a chat about other things and... And he just told me, I don't even know how we got to this conversation, but he said, you know, you got to wake up every morning believing that you're good at what you do and you're the person who can get it done um, for other people to believe it. And, you know, uh, eventually it will go from you telling yourself to you actually believing it. Now, you can take that advice and you can actually broaden it to a lot of things, including yeah. confidence in yourself. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I did, which was that, you know, I wasn't the most confident person in the world. Um, and I took his advice and I told myself that I'm confident and fantastic and awesome. And then it went from telling myself to believing it. So it's something that I guess, you know, it's not just about my professional journey, but my personal journey. Um, you know, I, I kept imposter syndrome at bay by just, you know, you tell Believing yourself, in your own legend. Absolutely. Believe fake in your own legend. Fake it till you make it. 100%. Everyone listen, fake it till you make it. So speaking of cars, we're going to go to our next segment, which is deep discussion, where we do a deep dive on a particular issue. And today's issue is, surprise, surprise, cars. <laughs> Awesome. So, uh, so we'll be deconstructing and analyzing. I had no idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Some data on cars. Okay. So, firstly, 
The Malaysian automotive industry is the third largest in Southeast Asia and the 23rd largest in the world, with an annual production output of over 500,000 vehicles. The automotive industry contributes 4% or 40 billion of Malaysia's GDP and employs a workforce of about 700,000. How do you see the local automotive industry affecting people's perce- perception as well as purchase of cars? Right. So the automotive industry has always been important to Malaysia. There's there's a number of reasons why. You know, we have a population size that supports local assembly, and also the way that we consume cars and the number in which we consume cars. I would say, you know, the past few years. Let's take 2020 mm. out of the discussion for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the past few years, our industry volume of new vehicles, um, I believe, both private and commercial, is something around the 500 to 600 thousand mark per year. You know, so that's uh, a lot, right? It's a lot of cars, yeah. um, and for trucks our size. For our size, and you know, as you said, it employs a lot of people. So, it's a very valuable industry to Malaysia, not only in the consumer sense, but also in terms of uh, labor and employment. So, um, I, if if you ask me about how it affects our attitudes, behavior, and perhaps even spending pattern, um, you know, our car industry is very much. Skewed towards uh, local cars, you know, because of uh, our tax structure. Yeah. So you know, the most I would say affordable cars to us, and and the cars that anyone can I would say look at getting when they first start working, or you know, even further down the line, if they wanted to be a bit cost conscious, um, would really begin with Proton and Proton, our national cars. And that was on purpose. I mean, because of the protectionist policies that we have. Absolutely. But you know what? Let's. I think it's related to the second fact that I wanted to read out, which is about. Proton and Produa, which sure. is our two biggest local brand, car brands, because you were talking about how pe- people or Malaysians are skewed towards making decisions to purchase these cars because they're cheaper. Mm-hmm. But actually, up until 2018, both local manufacturers were struggling until 2019 when they managed to increase their market share and ended the year first and second rank among the best-selling car brands in the country. This is mostly due to the successes of very specific cars. I mean, Absolutely. you know, with MyV yes. and then with the Proton X70. That's right. Where even now you'd have to wait months to receive, which yep. you can get on Flux, by the way. Yes, you can. <laughs> Thank you for that, um, Isa. You know, yes. uh, you can get both the X70, X50 on Flux. Drop us a message, and we will get back to you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I will link everything in the show notes. <laughs> But what is your honest opinion as somebody who has driven in like all sorts of cars about these two local brands? All right. So great question. The Malaysian car industry is. 35 years old this year. Oh, that's um, crazy! Actually, it's a long yeah, time. that's and you know it's actually older than that. I'm just I'm just taking the birth date as mm. the launch of the Proton Saga, um, because you know obviously these things take a while to gestate. But the birth of the Proton Saga is really the I would say um, the milestone um, in which you can say that our entire local automotive industry um, began. But We're a country that has always been, I would say, um, heavily involved in automotive manufacturers. Somewhere along the line, we've been assembling Volvo cars in Malaysia since the '60s. You know, this is just a fun fact. Oh, really? Absolutely. Yeah. I did not know that. A long time, um, and you know, uh, so we've always had that expertise. It really was a case of, all right, we need local brands, um, and what are we going to do? So, Proton 
was the first national brand and it started with the Saga and it's the perfect kind of car um, for its time. You know, we're talking about a four-door sedan, which is the quintessential family car at that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, this car really mobilized the nation. We were talking about, um, you know, this 35 years later, Proton is still selling um, a Proton Saga, you know, now um, in its third generation. Yeah. Um, but you have to understand that, you know, we had a very specific idea of what the country needed. Uh, and that's exactly what was executed. So Proton took care of the larger cars. Um, and years later, Prodwa took care of the smaller cars, starting with the Kanchil. Uh, and the Kanchil is oh. a very important car to most Malaysians because it's the car in which we learned how to drive. Yeah, right? I, I didn't see it that way. I didn't yeah. realize that they differentiated themselves that w- in that way. Absolutely. So it, it started that way where Proton was supposed to take care of the larger cars in the market um, and also um, have a little bit of a leaning towards... Uh, uh, the performance and enthusiast offerings in terms of the Satria, the Putra. Mm. Um, you know, Proton was a very exciting car brand, um, even in its early years. And Prodwa um, took care of, I would say, uh, the budget or the cost-conscious end of the market, you know, with cars like the Kanchil, later the Kalisa, uh, Viva, you know, they had an affordable MPV called the Rusa at one point. We're so spoiled with choices, Completely. I just realized. You know, if you think about it, there is no real need to ever buy a car that's not a Proton or Prodwa. It's just whether you want it or not. Um, because they take care that's of every single... Point. Correct. You know, they take care of um, every single um, n- practical need that you could have. Um, are you a single graduate starting your first job? Perhaps you get an Axia or a Beza at the very most. Um, are you, um, you know, someone with a family of two children and you need something larger, you get a Proton X70. Um, or if you want an MPV, maybe you get a Proton Exora or you get a Produa Alza. There is something for every practical need um, in both these brands. So if you ask me what these brands mean to us, um, and you talk about, I would say, um, you know, industry volume. And I said something like 600,000 cars a year. Mm. Last year, 200,000 of those cars were Perodua's. That's a third of the entire industry coming from one brand. Oh my God. So you have to understand these cars are really important because without Protons and Protoss, a lot of people wouldn't be on the road. Or they would be on motorbikes. I actually thought that public sentiment was quite negative until recently. So it's very interesting to know that the numbers do not reflect my Bangsar bubble. (laughs) Maybe not. Um, You know, and I'll say this for the record, I drive a Protoa Axia today. Um, and it is the best thing that I have ever put my money on. In terms of what you get in return. Absolutely. The pure utility, the low running cost, the endless dependability. Um, these cars were not only localized for Malaysia, they were made for Malaysians. Um, you know, our fantastic combination of heat and humidity. You know, um, <laughs> Our endless need for a thousand cup holders and four USB yeah. ports. All of these are things that plastic are... Plastic bag hanger. A plastic like- bag hanger for your tetarik, you know, for ikat tepi. You know, Proton and Prodwa have everything taken care of, um, you know, including um, on the passenger seat, you've got a special hook for, for ladies' handbags. Um, these cars are perfect for our wants and needs. So I, I you know, I'm a great... I, I have a lot of respect for both Proton and Prodwa for taking care of what we need. 
All right. So the third fact that I have for you is, according to the ASEAN Statistics Division, Malaysia has the second highest number of registered road motor vehicles per 1,000 population in 2017, which is 896.7 behind Brunei and above Thailand, but far above Thailand. Thailand's like 500, I think, Mm -hmm. which means almost nine out of every 10 Malaysians owns (laughs) some sort of vehicle. So with the pandemic and various lockdown measures, yes, we're going to go to 2020 All now. Right. Do you think this trend would last, especially with alternatives like Flux, car subscription models, SoCar, and even Grab? So um, for Flux specifically, I can tell you that people come to us because they know that we're an alternative to ownership. Mm. Um, so we really play in the space where, you know, you're, there are various things that you can do to get a car for long term. You can either buy via higher purchase loan, you can lease, or with us, you can subscribe. Mm. So we we um, really focus on that segment who is looking, um, you know, for some, I would say, round-the-clock solution. You know, they want a car that has all the benefits um, of ownership without the drawbacks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't say that that Flux is going to um, significantly change the statistics. It's just that Flux will um, convert people from buying these cars either outright or via higher purchase loan to subscribing to them. Mm. But they will still have cars of their own. Now, when you talk about, um, you know, e-hailing uh, and car sharing, uh, these are either point-to-point or short-term solutions. Um, which are great, you know, um, especially when you talk about, you know, in a cosmopolitan setting, um, you need to go from, you know, one office in a CBD to the other. Um, the best thing to do really would be to jump in a grab because you're already in, I would say, rush hour traffic. And the last thing you want to do is spend 15 minutes searching for parking. Um, but what the pandemic has done is that it's made people more aware of the potential dangers of sharing um, a mobility environment. So mm-hmm. if we talk about Grab, you've got a Grab driver. If you talk about um, a short-term solution like um, Goka or Soka, um, you know, you're using a car that other people use. Now, let me be very clear about the fact that I know there are fantastic measures in place by all of these players in the industry when you talk about not only sanitizing these cars, but making sure that um, you know, the driver, as far as e-hailing goes, or the users um, you know, uh, take all appropriate measures. Um, what we've realized from the people who have approached us is that they are now um, more wary of the possible risks of sharing this mobility environment with other people so um, from our discussions and collaboration with you know automotive dealers whether they are authorized dealers or used car dealers they tell us that sales have um, you know picked up for i would say certain segments because people feel safer in a car that's their own which is Mm -hmm. what we offer them at flux because when you take a car that you subscribe to it's yours for the entire duration of your subscription you Mm -hmm. don't share it with anyone now um, as far as the truth of these uh, feelings go, I can't say because I'm not a medical professional, but I can tell you that people are more comfortable to do this. Mm, okay, that's interesting of putting into the pandemic into the mental calculus of people because I actually thought that it was the opposite, that because we're not really having to move around a lot this year, that a lot of people are thinking about whether or not to get that other car 
or that upgrade. But you're also absolutely right that it's also about safety and whether or not you're okay with sharing with another person. Because, you know, that's why Airbnb is not doing really well right now because of that kind of sharing platform. So what we're going to do next is another incredible segment called Radical Roleplay. So this is my favorite segment because this is where we provide the guests with imagined scenarios which they would have to use their communication skills to resolve. So today we have some packaging and pitching scenarios for Vishal. Vishal, are you ready? I am totally ready. Um, you know, I'm slightly scared by this look you've got in your eye, but <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. So Vishal, scenario one for you is your boss asks you to write an article on Flux's new car lineup and how a car subscription model is more affordable than buying your own car. He wants you to talk about the car's different specs as well as how the finances look like but you know that this is kind of technical and you kind of want to make it more user-friendly how would you approach this article something that we always start with whenever we we think about um, expanding our inventory uh, is who is the right audience for this particular car or Mm. this particular segment of cars um, that we're adding now every single car that you find on flux is the perfect car for somebody It, Mm. it satisfies somebody's need somebody's want So in a situation like this, when we're talking about the finances and the technical specifications, I like to simplify them um, so that it is easily understandable by the audience. So whenever we do um, a financial comparison, uh, we like to compare a three-year subscription on Flux, which is the longest subscription that we offer, to um, what you would be paying on a five-year loan, Mm. um, which is, I would say, on some level, fairly typical for, for, for most Malaysians whenever they look at buying a car. Now, when you talk about technical specifications, sometimes numbers don't mean a lot to people. um, But you need to find a basis of comparison um, that makes it easier to understand. Now, if I give you an example, you know, the Proton X70 cars that you find on Flux are the CKD or locally assembled version. Now, the difference between the locally assembled version and the um, imported version um, is that the locally assembled version has a different gearbox. Now, everything I've just said to you probably sounds like Greek. So I'm just going to simplify this and say the locally assembled version of the Proton X70, which is available on Flux, has a gearbox that cuts the 0 to 100 time by one second, 10.5 to 9.5, and it improves fuel consumption. So immediately you understand that I'm telling you not only do you have more power, but uh, you save because it consumes less fuel. That's what you need to take away and that's exactly what I'll give you. So a lot of what you do when you're deciding on how to approach an article is really finding out who your audience is and how can you make that article more relatable to them because you're, it was Greek to me until you said I didn't even know we had locally and not locally assembled yep. cars. That's incredible. Okay, great. Good job. A plus for scenario one. But let's get scenario two, which is a slightly different uh, tangent. Okay. A local business, Achong Logistics, has approached you to potentially sign up for a fleet of company cars from Flux. However, the owner, Achong, is still quite skeptical about the idea of a car subscription. You know, it's new. The business is a family one and Achong is quite old school. He seems to think that owning cars is still preferable over leasing them, even though you you don't actually lease those cars. Yes, I just realized my error there. However, the owner's son, Ahok, thinks otherwise. Both come to you for advice. How do you pitch Flux? Okay, fantastic. I can Um, be Achong. Okay, you're Achong, so I'm talking to you? Okay, right. Oof. Um, I'll put the work hat on now. So, um, you know, Mr. Achong, thank you for your interest in Flux. Um, 
What I will explain to you is how subscribing to cars from Flux for your business has many more benefits than owning these cars and putting them uh, in your books as a depreciating asset. So if you think about the cars that you own personally, uh, perhaps there are reasons why um, you would want to own these cars. Maybe sentimental, maybe how long you want to keep them, or maybe you have a special number plate that you'd like to pass on from a previous car to a new car. But for your business, what's important is um, efficiency and cost savings. So Flux subscriptions for business, and we call that Flux Business Class, allows you to enjoy the use of these cars as pure operating expenditure, OPEX, which also come with certain tax-deductible benefits. So in the interest of your business, I totally understand that traditionally you would buy these cars for your business, put them on the books, and perhaps depreciate them year on year, um, you know, to zero over however number of years you wanted to use them. But not only am I offering you a financial benefit with a car subscription, but I'm also offering you better utilization because we reduce downtime by taking care of all the maintenance, wear and tear, and documentation and administrative needs of your cars on your behalf. And you can better project your cash flow because you just pay one fixed subscription fee and everything is included. You don't have to worry about spike costs. Now, Ahok is, you know, very wise to have brought you here to get the explanation from me because I'm comparing this for you side by side and I'm telling you for your business, from what I can tell, your best option is to go with a Flux subscription. Oh my God. You know what I really like about that was the language you use. It was suddenly very corporate commercial. I, I, did, I, I have to admit, I did flip the professional switch there, you know, you yeah. forced me to turn it on. All right, Michelle, we've come to the end of the show. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but you made cars very interesting for me. Oh, thank you. And I think it's incredible that you made me see them the way that you do. So that's an incredible skill to have. And I see why you're so adaptable in your different roles. So Vishal, why do you seek to speak? The reason why I seek to speak, I'm going to take something that my mother tells me all the time, which is that, you know, when you're communicating with someone, you have to put it together and put it across. I really like the entire idea that it is not just sufficient to know the subject matter or to have experience and wisdom in it. You need to package it properly or it's not going to have the desired effect or achieve the result that you want. I find that the most accomplished people that I've ever come across in my life, whether it's captains of industry or leaders, they are masters of putting it together and putting it across. <laughs> you know, that's for me, you know, the goal, which is that you know I'm able to, I have it together, but I'm able to put it across to um, the audience in the way that is most effective or impactful for them. I absolutely resonate with your mom's sage advice because it's so simple yet so impactful because it transcends any kind of industry and whatever you do, a craftsman, a writer, a speaker. Thank you so, so much, Vishal, for agreeing to do this. It's been an absolute pleasure. Most welcome, Asa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to have been a part of Seek to Speak. And perhaps we'll have another chat another day of something yes, completely different. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe not cars. Maybe not cars. <laughs> Fine, I'll spare you.